0: construes specific investment advice and if you do require advice you should seek an appropriate advisor be that a financial planner or a tax advisor or possibly a lawyer.
1: Doctors don't know what's covered they don't they don't know so they'll they'll pick Nexium because they like it but it's not covered by half the plan so then we have to switch it anyways whereas if they just said you know patient has you know this condition please treat it. I can, I can tailor that treatment to that patient's specific drug plan scenario.
0: This episode of the CE Drive podcast is brought to you by Business Career College. Business Career College is a leading provider of financial services education, including the life insurance licensing program. The entire set of courses leading to the CFP certification, which is actually where I spend most of my time teaching and where I've met many of the participants in these podcasts. We also provide continuing education credits live classroom and webinar instruction in support of the Elder Planning Counselor designation and a few other odds and ends in support of folks in the financial services industry. You can find the full catalog of course offerings at www.businesscareercollege.com. Hey, welcome back to the CE Drive podcast and the CGIB Navigator podcast. This is our second co-branded co-release. This episode will be good for... Uh, life insurance credits in all jurisdictions except Alberta where it's only good for one ANS credit. Um, we'll have one financial planning credit from FP Canada and no IROC or MFDA credits for this one. We're into that uh, group benefits territory, so no uh, securities related credits. Um, it's a long interview here. I went overtime already in the interview, so we'll just uh, roll right into it. Uh, before I do, the object is um, my favorite little USB stick. This is uh, Texas Instruments BA2 Plus Calculator Emulator. So basically it gives me the ability to use this calculator, the BA2 Plus, but to show it to students on the screen. It's pretty nifty. Um, all you have to do to get one is write a textbook telling people to use the Texas Instruments Calculator, which is the best of the financial calculators that's widely available. And uh, they'll send you a free Calculator Emulator all right, let's uh, roll into the interview then. Uh, this is uh, Dave and I discussing um fault a small town uh, pharmacy practice with a friend of mine who happens to run a small town pharmacy. Thanks so much. All right. I'm here today with uh, Dave Patriarch again, my uh, I guess co-host now, Dave. We're on our second episode doing this. so and, uh, Trevor Bills. Trevor is a pharmacist in, I, you're actually in White Court, White Court Sangudo, Trevor, right? Sort of halfway between where I am in Grand Prairie, roughly. And uh, of course, I know Trevor from uh, my business coaching group, where he's a, an awesome um, contributor to all of our myriad issues. So, Trevor, can you give us a little rundown
1: about yourself and your business? Would you mind? For sure, for sure. Uh, great to be here, Jason and Dave. Uh, so, yeah, Trevor Bills. I'm a pharmacist and a pharmacy owner. Um, I've been a pharmacist since, since 2010, and um, shortly thereafter was uh, fortunate enough to to uh, start a pharmacy in 2011 with a business partner. Uh, so I've been an owner since since that point, and then about five years ago added a second store in a little town called Sangudo. So, um, you know, ever since graduation, I've been. Uh, a pharmacy manager, and I've been an owner for the last ten or eleven years. And uh, working in small town primarily, a little bit of time in in the city and in corporates um, throughout my university training and my first couple of years as well. We're in a corporate store, but uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me and where I'm at. Cool. Where I'm at.
2: Do you like the small town uh, market better than the big city market?
1: Well, you know i I grew up in a small town so for me it feels like home but uh, I, I do and I think you know, there are some differences definitely between the two um, in the you know where my pharmacy is right in a medical clinic with the doctors so that that's huge um, just to have that collaborative feel um, but I, even in this small town where I, I was working in white court prior to opening the store and you get to know the doctors you get to know um, how they prescribe you get to know them maybe sometimes personally um it's just a a tighter community that way uh when you're in a smaller
2: community because of that do you end up pushing stuff back and forth like you know hey maybe you forgot that the clients also the patient's also on these other drugs how about we try this and that like that that you might not see so much here
1: yeah well i think what happens is it has to it all happens via you know typically fax um, in, in the medical world, right? So e- when you're in a smaller community and sometimes you can, can especially when you're in the medical center, uh, like we are, but even in a small town where you have a, a, an easier way to contact the physicians, you can just resolve those problems faster uh, um, and, and make sure you're really working collaboratively rather than in, in silos.
2: Makes sense. And funny you mentioned the fax thing, because uh, I heard uh, maybe two or three months ago, the Ontario Ministry of Health is looking to phase out all their faxes by the end of 2023, I think. And so I'm like, okay, well, how, how, how big a problem can that be? And I think there's 1,200 that they have, that they know of that are being used on a daily basis. I'm like, oh, that is a problem, you know? So let's dive into some of these questions. Um, what's your ideal client?
1: Well, uh, I mean, our ideal client is somebody that is interested in their health, that wants to um, maintain or improve it, and who is curious and interested in you know their their drug therapy and their health therapy in general. Um, those are the people that it's it's really fun to interact with them, and you can and they're going to listen to you. And it's not that they're always going to do what, exactly what you say. But, um, you know, at least there's some, some momentum there and, you know, interest that way, cause there's nothing harder than seeing somebody and help trying to help somebody and they're not motivated to maybe help themselves.
2: Yeah. Uh, interesting how you answered that because i w- I was kind of half going in my head what would the city answer be versus a small town answer would it be different and everything and uh i i feel like sometimes at, at city pharmacies that i've dealt with in the past it's like we like the client who doesn't ask any questions and goes away quickly and that 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 seemed to be kind of praised over stopping and asking a question to better understand a condition or a treatment or or whatever so yeah
0: so Trevor, you're, you're independent, like you've got your two shops. Um, can you talk about independence? And then I, I know you're part of, I think it's called a pricing group. Is that what it's properly called? Can you chat about that a little bit as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, in the pharmacy industry, there's obviously your corporate stores, um, you know, which would be your Rexalls, um, Loblaws, uh, so Superstore, that sort of thing. Um, then there's more um, the associate program, which is what Shoppers Drug Mart runs. So it's very, still very corporately driven, corporately controlled, but you have, you know, an individual in that store that's um, kind of an owner, so to speak. They call them an associate. Um, and then you've got banner programs. So banner programs are, are where you've got an independent owner, stores, you know, fully independently owned. Um, but then, you know, they're paying a fee to have a banner. So PharmaSave, IDA, Guardian, um, those would be examples of banner programs. Um, and then... So it kind of gives you the brand, the brand recognition, that sort of thing in a banner program. And then you've got um, what I'm a part of, which is, um, it's actually a co-op, is the way that it's organized, um, legally arranged, is PharmaChoice. And so PharmaChoice is a a, a group of stores across Canada, um, about a thousand or so, um, and it's a little bit a little bit less than a banner, although you can definitely advertise and use the Farm Choice name and brand, but you don't have to. But it gives you that, you know, buying power of a thousand stores across Canada so that you're getting good pricing. And as well as they manage some of the back office type things for you when it comes to um, making sure you have supply and uh, that sort of thing. And then there are some stores that are fully independent, um, no banner, no buying group, no anything. Um, and they're buying direct from manufacturer um, or, or through the wholesaler um, to, to supply their stores as well. So that's kind of the breakdown of it. So yeah, both of my stores are in the pharmacy based group. And uh, so
2: it's like a co-op is how it's set up. So I'm kind of curious, how do you pick that model over, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to become a shoppers guy or, or somebody else. Like not, not, I'm not putting anybody down, but, but you had, you had some choices through that whole model. And I'm, I'm sure part of it's got to do with the business model, but part of it's got to do with, you know, what you deliver and how you deliver it too, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, when you start to compare like a shoppers to, you know, uh, a more independent store, like I say, shoppers is very still corporate controlled. They're going to tell you, you know, how to sell things, how much you should be selling um, all of that, which is great for somebody that, that needs that. Um, it provides that structure, provides all of the, the framework. Um, whereas when you get into the independent side of things, the reason that I'm there is because I want to be independent. I don't want to have a head office that I, that I answer to. And I like being able to tell my team, you know, Hey, if you've got a, an issue, you've got a, a concern or you've got an idea, like head office is right here. You're looking at head office. Uh, and, and, so you can be more nimble that way. Sometimes you can try things out, not without its stress or or uh, things you learn along the way. But I, you know, one one story I can little give on that is when I was a manager in a corporate store in my first eighteen months before starting the one that we did. I wanted to put up a, a rack with some pamphlets, information pamphlets in it. So I asked for that a few months in. When I left there, eighteen months later, there was still no rack on the wall.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: because it hadn't been approved, you know. Whereas now, if I want to put a rack on the wall, I just I go to Staples. I buy one, I want to put it on the wall, it's it's done. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like.
2: I, I can relate to that. Um, during COVID, um, so I just recently moved out of the city, but I had a Shoppers Drug Mart, literally a five minute walk from my house, and uh, they had the big sign in the window saying, you know, we're doing COVID testing, walk in or I don't know if it was testing or vaccinations, you know, no appointment needed, just walk in and you walk in, there's another big sign. If you're here, please proceed to the back, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you get to the back, I go, okay, I'm here for my vaccination. They said, you have to make an appointment. I said, all the way through the whole store from the front door, all the way in, it says you don't. And they said, yeah, corporate sends us that, but we actually have to require it. I go, well, take the signs down then. They go, we're not allowed to. Corporate tells us you have to put the signs up. I'm like, Okay. I get it. I mean, I, I like your model better. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, pharmacy isn't unique to that. I mean, you'll see that in all sorts of other uh, industries. I'm sure really like, corporate says you do this, so you do it, but that's not really how it's working or whatever. So, so anyway, that's, that's what draws me to the independent side of things as well as, you know, um, I have, I just have, you know, the control over, you know, what I buy when I buy it, how I sell it um, all of those kind of things. And there's nobody breathing down my neck other than my own uh, drive, So do you know anything about the pharmacy business in other
0: provinces? Trevor, I think you've always practiced in Alberta, right? Do you know anything about differences cross province?
1: Yeah, you know, um, no, Uh, yes and no. (laughs) Let me say that. Obviously, I haven't practiced in any other provinces. I've only been in Alberta. Um, I mean, I know not so much business model wise, but I do know like practice-wise, um, that there there has been in the past more difference than there is even now. Um, Alberta was and, and still is to an extent um, ahead of the curve in terms of our services that we are able to provide and the services that we get reimbursed for um, by the government. Uh, whereas other provinces had lagged behind a little bit. Now, I know places like Ontario and BC are catching up for sure, and maybe even at the same stage or ahead in some certain ways, Um, but very, just a little bit different in terms of uh, what is provided, what can be provided, and and then what's reimbursed. Um, But Alberta is still known through across Canada as probably the, the number one place you can do the most things you have the most latitude and flexibility. Um, And, and, you know, when we start talking about benefits plans and things like that, like in Alberta, if I get um, somebody walks in and they have a drug prescribed to them, and that drug isn't covered, I can change that drug independently. I I don't have to ask the doctor, although I have to communicate with them. and, And many times we will work collaboratively, but I don't have to, I can just, I can make the change, inform the doctor, hey, this is what I did. This is what I, why I changed it and I made the change. Whereas in other provinces, uh, that isn't the case.
2: And just to clarify for the non-pharmacy people, so we're not talking just brand to generic or vice versa, You're also other, class, other drugs in the same class, treatment class or whatever it's called.
1: Or, or different class, exactly, yeah.
2: Oh, really? Okay.
1: Yeah. So in Alberta, we have, um, and all of my pharmacists have this, is something called additional prescribing authorization, EPA. And uh, what that that basically allows the pharmacist to prescribe independently, but collaboratively. So you still have, you can do it, you take responsibility for it. You still need to work with and inform the team. So the health, other healthcare providers involved with that patient, um, any medication other than a narcotic or controlled drug. Sure. So, Somebody comes in and sees me and I, if I have the, the, um, capability, if I have the, the know-how to, to say, okay, yeah, we need to give you this drug at this point in time. I can do that.
2: Does that come up often?
1: Uh, mostly comes up with what we would consider minor ailments. So, um, urinary tract infections, uh, cold sores, you know, some things like that. Um, but it also allows us to change doses of drugs. Uh so again, if somebody's on a medication and you know, we're helping to monitor that patient and we go, you know, this isn't enough, we need to increase their dose. Not in every province can somebody do that. And in Alberta, only if you have Albert uh an APA, additional prescribing authorization, you can actually change that dose. You can say, Okay, no, we're gonna bump it from one to two or whatever the number is. Um, and and so it gives us a really brings us in as part of that healthcare team, which is which is I think a huge advantage for patients, especially in when we're talking about in rural Alberta, where sometimes it can take two or three weeks to get into a doctor. Um, we, we can make that change and say, Hey, make an appointment with your doctor in two or three weeks, but we're going to make the change now. And then when you see your doctor in two or three weeks, they can help evaluate whether that's how that's going
2: for you. And and that actually takes us almost back one question of um, is it, is it operations different in the city versus you know small town and it sounds like there's a lot more collaboration. I mean, maybe it's in Alberta versus me you know, being in Ontario, but, but it, it sounds like people are easier to reach closer to it. And maybe just because of the circumstance and location, not being a city, it creates opportunities to help be yeah. more helpful.
1: Well, I think I, w- I would hate to paint a, a broad stroke brush and say that all communities, like are all um, small communities versus, you know, all larger centers are one way or the other. Cause I'm sure I, you know, I don't know of any, but that's just, because I, I don't, I just don't know of them. I'm, but I know that there would be scenarios where pharmacies are working very closely and collaboratively with the doctors in their close vicinity or in their building or whatever, um, in every major city across Canada, I'm sure. Um, But again, in in the rural centers where sometimes it's harder to see the doctor or or you like I say, you know, these physicians um, because they're the only ones you're seeing medical prescriptions from, you know, we've got eight doctors in our community and that's 90% of our prescriptions come from those eight doctors. So you really get to know how they prescribe and and who's who works in what way and who you can make that change for. And they're going to say, yeah, great change. Um, Sounds good. I'll talk to the patient next week. And who might say gee I really wanted to talk to that person myself or whatever so you, know, you just get to know those things and then that allows you to just work within the team to to make sure that you're doing the right thing for the patient
2: best outcomes
1: that's cool
0: do you think um,
1: like do patients know about APA uh they yes yeah in Alberta they do like they'll all have we'll I'll get a call just on Saturday I had to work this last Saturday and I got a phone call hey do you have a prescribing pharmacist is what they'll say, and, and some pharmacies, even you might even see that on their you know banner or something, hey prescribing pharmacist. Um, which, yeah, for a few reasons, I kind of find that odd that they put that there, but um, so they, they'll phone and they'll say, Hey, do you have a prescribing pharmacist? I say, Well, I, I do, what's going on? And you know, in this scenario, on Saturday, it was a patient to a regular patient of ours who um, you know starting to have some bladder infection symptoms, and so go through an assessment. Her what you need to do, and I ended up treating her. Um, and you know, we'll follow up this week and make sure she's getting better.
2: So l- let me ask this question. I'm, we're off the list already, which is great. <laughs> so um, the the way you just said that of prescribing pharmacist, can you prescribe without an original prescription? It, so f- the, for certain conditions, or I mean, obviously you're not doing n- narcotics and stuff. But but is it pretty wide open as far as you know? Kid comes in and you go, okay, this is a case for. I was going to say amoxicillin or something, but nobody takes that anymore. But yeah, <laughs> or shouldn't. Yeah, so, so the, the, the regulations and laws don't limit us.
1: We are limited by our own competency. So if you are competent, if you feel you're competent enough to assess and, and document and make that prescription, then there, is, there isn't a limit that way. Um, Sometimes that gets some people into trouble, you know, like every profession, there's people who go too far. They, they overestimate their own competence. Um, But the, at at this point we we can prescribe, yeah, other than narcotics and controlled drugs, we can prescribe any, for any condition Uh, we have to be careful. Of course, as pharmacists uh, on diagnosing, you know, we're trained very well at um, treating, but not as well at diagnosing. So it's a lot easier for me um, if a patient has seen a, a physician or other healthcare provider who has made a diagnosis. Now I, now I know I can treat with this, I can treat with that, I can, do, you know, all these different options. And I have, and I personally, I, I'm speaking for me, that I, I would switch between drugs and whatever, when I have a, a clear diagnosis. Making that diagnosis, on the other hand, not always sure, you know, Hey, that's where the physician comes in and it's, you know, they do their differentials, they do some testing, all of that stuff to say, okay, let's make sure we're, we're diagnosing this correctly.
2: Do you really not feel that watching three or four seasons of house would be enough to teach you a differential diagnosis by now? I mean, um, no, cause on house, everybody has
1: sarcoidosis, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's ideally, and you know, i I've, I've said this to others before one day, I'd love to get a prescription from a physician that just says patient has high blood pressure or hypertension treat accordingly. Because I really see that being their area of expertise is diagnostics and not that they wouldn't ever select the treatment, but
2: I think pharmacists can do that many times as well. Yeah. So almost like you said, and you know, and I'm, paraphrasing these are not your words but kind of you kind of feel almost relieved when you have a diagnosis from the doctor if you got to prescribe the proper treatment they should almost be relieved by not having you know being stuck in their old ways of you know water pills are the answer to everything for high blood pressure or something you know like yeah
1: but I think the big thing you know and we're very fortunate in in white court here where we're in the medical clinic and we do work collaboratively and we're constantly learning from each other you know like hey you know, I'm going to switch it to this because X, Y, Z, or again, kind of referring to some of what we'll talk about in a bit here, the the benefits thing, doctors don't know what's covered. They don't, they don't know. So they'll, they'll pick Nexium because they like it, but it's not covered by half the plan. So then we have to switch it anyways. Whereas if they just said, you know, patient has, you know, this condition, please treat it. I can, I can tailor that treatment to that patient's specific drug, plan scenario, whether that's cash or government plan or private plan or whatever it is, I, as a pharmacist, I know, or I can easily find out what's going to be covered for them.
0: Let's just chime in. I've got a question for Dave about this now, actually. So Trevor, in our world, we see this with dentists and dentists get picked on all the time for this in the benefits world. Right, rightly so. Rightly so. They will tailor treatment yeah. to what the patient can pay for. Do you see a risk there? I don't I don't know if
2: you both want to answer that, but, you know, is there, is there like a conflict of interest problem there? Uh, the, the problem I have with dentists is they charge up and work up to the plan. And I find that pharmacists are more supportive of charging down to the patient. Like, I, and I, maybe that's the wrong way, but like, I mean, it. okay, so we've had all the stuff with generic allowances and different things that have changed and regulations and stuff. But I, I find that you know, like everybody advertises in Ontario, at least, you know, if you're a senior over 65, we'll, you know, waive the copay, the $2 and stuff. If a dentist did that, it's fraud and they lose their license. If a pharmacist does it, it's no problem. It's okay. And the ODA says, no, no, it's in our regulation, not the ODA, the college. And, uh, the OPA says, no, no, we're hundred percent good with that. Like that's, that's just a business model thing. So, you know, I, I don't worry about it so much. Like I, I don't find people, patients going in saying, hey, I was coming in for, what's the Nexium generic, yeah. model or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's it, easy enough to say. <laughs> um, they don't come in for that and you say, hey, you really should be on Nexium. Let's jack up that by a factor of four. I, you don't see that. I mean, plans prevent, I think, but so I don't worry about it so much. Do
1: you yeah, I mean, about it's, it? good. it's a fair question. And I know, so you, and we talk about it, you know, so you've got a scenario where a pharmacist can be an independent pre- uh, prescriber. And they're maybe the business owner, so now they're going to prescribe, and then they're going to sell it to you. So there is a potential for conflict of interest there, um, absolutely. And and even selecting their medication, okay, well, which one's going to make me more? And that's where ethics comes into it. To be honest, um, you know, it's it's like you're always going to have these ethical scenarios and ethical dilemmas. Um, as a pres- when I make a prescription, I I you know I have to tell the patient hey you can get this filled anywhere i'll prescribe because i can prescribe it and it can be filled at xyz pharmacy it doesn't matter
2: but that's pretty cool and cool that you share that too
1: yeah but you have to say like you know and do you want me to fill that for you today and i mean 98 percent of the time these are patients who are regular customers of ours there's so do i say it out loud every single time probably not i'm outing myself a little bit because they I mean they come to me for everything so i'm not you know i could say to them would you like to take a subscription somewhere else and they're gonna say well no i'm gonna get it here because this is where i get all my stuff
2: yeah what's wrong are <laughs> you out of stock like what's going on yeah are you firing me
1: yeah. yeah that's yeah yeah exactly so but there is that ethical dilemma and, and i've been asked by students before as an owner right um because as a staff pharmacist i mean it doesn't, maybe it doesn't really matter right like well, i don't care whether you get this drug filled or this drug filled it doesn't matter i'm a staff pharmacist i get paid by the hour anyway whereas you know as an owner there is a vested interest there and uh, personally my my approach has always been and what i've told students when i've had them is look i just do what's best for the patient the business is going to look after itself and i can tell you after 11 years of doing that it's still true um and patients can tell
2: it will always be true I've been doing it for 25 years in my business. Put the client first. You never have to worry about clients. Yeah.
1: No, and 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 they can people can tell, right? People can tell when you're when you're not. Um, but I think, yeah, in terms of billing up to the plan like that, that's interesting, and I can see that being an issue. Um, now, in, in when it comes to pricing for plans and things, of course, and I'll talk about it in Alberta two things. One, Dave, you brought up uh, waiving copays. So in Alberta that's considered an inducement, which we are not allowed to do.
2: Oh, good for Alberta. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah.
1: So, in al yeah. So in Alberta, um, basically all the insurance plans have the same clause in their agreements with the pharmacy. So we're talking Alberta blue cross, assure express scripts, green shield, all of them um, all have in their agreement that basically you have to charge us the same thing you charge everybody else. So, when we price a drug, if a drug is a dollar, I get a dispensing fee in Alberta. It's $12.15, which is kind of set by Alberta Blue Cross. And I can't, now I can charge less than that, and, or I could charge more than that. And the dispensing yeah, fee. Yeah, that's the dispensing fee. But I can't charge Blue Cross different than what I charge Green Shield or different than what I charge Express Scripts. Only exception to this would be cash paying patients, but most pharmacies just have one pricing scheme and it just goes to everybody. And that's
2: what. It is. And we have three in Ontario, I think is how it works. So we have one for provincial pricing. We have one for cash pricing and we have one for benefit plans. And it tends to be cash pays the highest price benefit plays the second and the province pays the lowest generally. Yeah.
1: Whereas, whereas here it's, it's everybody pays the same and so, if you are charging one insurance more than another, and then and you get caught doing that, then you know you'll lose your agreements. They'll claw back money, all that
2: sort of stuff. So, so you just have a pricing plan. So that's probably all your is 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 that all your successive socialist governments have put in that <laughs> kind of unified <laughs> exactly successive socialist governments. Well, we had anyway. Let's not go there.
1: Um, <laughs> outside the scope, I think here, Dave. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I go there, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, it's it, it is so. But pricing wise, yeah, that's that's how we price it, and everybody pays the same. So, would there be some incentive for me to put somebody on an expensive drug? Maybe personally, I've never done that, and I could see. I guess some place, some people could, but it wouldn't be a as as big an advantage to go to this more expensive drug.
2: And I was going to say anything that's a big expensive drug now is well, there's like I mean a lot of specialty clinics that are doing it and specialty pharmacies and stuff, at least out here, that are fulfilling it. So when you get into the biologics and stuff that are low volume, high maintenance to maintain and all that kind of stuff, it's it's not like you're just walking in saying, Boy, I wish I had emerald today. Can you give me a shot? You know, like yeah. So you
0: touched on benefits plans before. Let's go to this batch of questions here. So and you i think you rightly like you said sometimes you sort of act as the liaison with the physician as to what the benefits plan will or will not cover do you think that most pharmacists have a like a solid handle on what benefits plans do cover i, I assume that's the case then
1: yeah i think um so for your, our provincial plan, which is administered by Alberta Blue Cross, yes, most pharmacists are going to have a very good handle on what's going to be covered and what's not. And sometimes what needs to be tried first before they'll cover the next you know, other medication, that sort of thing. Um, when it comes to private insurance or group plans from employers, that sort of thing, um, it's so hard to know. We, you know, I don't know what's going to be covered till I hit submit and get a response uh, online to say whether something's covered or not. Um, I mean, we have a large employer here in in our community. So again, you get to know their plan a little bit better. But um, yeah, generally, I don't say anything about whether it's covered or not until I have the response from the insurance to say whether it is or not. Other than like I say, a, 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 a provincial
2: formulary. Yeah. And I mean, you see so much variation. I mean, you know, one Sun Life plan can cover one thing and the next employer covers something else totally different. And we see so many plans with exceptions because it's not really Sun Life. It was an old clerical plan that got converted from, you know, whatever to somebody and yeah, kind of gets messy. So that kind of brings us in that whole area of, you know, all these different formularies and prior other, prior authorization programs and everything else. Um I'm kind of feeling like you're in a lucky position, like with having kind of like majority of like, you know, whatever, a handful of doctors or two hands full of doctors referring and having maybe a few, you know, large employers that, you know, provide a big chunk. So you, you, I'm just kind of presuming like 75% of this is you kind of know it before you go too far. Like, I mean,
1: yeah. Uh, although, you know, like there's there's so many different plans and so many different empl- employers and then plans change. Um, and then some, you know, this list of drugs is covered 100%. This list of drugs is covered 50%. Um, even my own plan, you know, I, I have the Chamber of Commerce plan for my, for my staff. And I mean, it's got its own list of things that are covered 100% and things that are not and all of that. So, it, it, you know, it's not always simple that way. Um, we there is still, and I was trying to find the survey this morning because there was a survey done by our Alberta uh, Pharmacist Association. This is going back a few years, but I, I couldn't find it about how much time pharmacists estimate they spend on insurance-related items in a day. And I my my memory tells me that the reported amount was like twenty-five percent of their of a pharmacist day was spent on insurance issues um, which is far too much. Um, but I, I, and I, I was going by memory on that. So it it might be up or down a bit, but it was, it was actually a a reasonable amount that, uh, you know, hopefully we can limit that, but it's getting, it's getting better in some ways for sure. So for you, just thinking of
0: your practice here, Trevor, like, and I think about this in my own experience, is it really front loaded like you have a new patient and you're going to put in a ton of time with the insurer and then you know 18 months later it would be unusual to have to call the insurer do you
1: find is it like that is it is it a Mm -hmm. i mean once we get their insurance working right Like, say okay so maybe they don't have a card maybe they do you know that sort of thing you're trying to find out insurance information um yeah. And then it changes or the patient has a major health change. Now we're on a different class of drugs and maybe now all of a sudden those class of drugs you have to deal with differently. But um, generally, yeah, once you, once it's set up and, and you're, you're good to go, it's, it's not too bad. It's when, you know, they're trying to do something different or the patient is not unsure about what, what's covered or why it's not covered. And that sort of thing. That, and those, those are some of the hard questions for pharmacists to answer, you know, um, well, why isn't this covered? Well, I can't tell you why it's not covered, you know, It just isn't. I mean, I can tell you why I think it's not covered, but I I can't with certainty tell you this is why.
2: And don't feel bad because I'm in the same boat all the time. I mean, we sell the plans, we build them and stuff. And then we still, you know, we're kind of limited, ideal mainly in small business. So most of my clients are like two to fifty employees. And um, you know, you basically have a choice of do you want a managed formulary, a generic formulary, mandatory generic, or or brand name open formulary? Like you you have half a dozen, maybe. Um, as you get bigger, there's more options. But but I mean, we can't always give the answer. And and sometimes you'll go. That drug was covered before. Now it's a prior authorization because there's something new or or something's changed or whatever. And uh and it's it's frustrating. And I know the other thing that we find that gets frustrating for people is we got a lot of working seniors now going past 65. So in Ontario, the Ontario drug benefit uh, plan kicks in at age 65 and pays for the senior's drugs and their first payer. So your private plan might've paid for your brand name drug. Now you're being switched to the generic and the phone call I get is how come the insurance company is making me take the you know, generic drug? I'm like, it's not, it's the government. Like, well, we don't want the government messing in our benefit plan. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a problem because at the pharmacy level, they're, they pop into first payer status automatically. So yeah. So speaking on that, then I'm going to maybe skip through because we've kind of bounced around a little bit, but, um, so what, what do we do that makes life difficult for you? We, what do we, the insurers and the benefit of plans or what can we do to make things easier for you?
1: I think, and I mean, I know why there's formularies that are built different ways and it's all much of it is a regards to cost and that sort of thing. But I think honestly, um, simple is better as from the pharmacy perspective You know, if I just know that every drug for that patient is going to be $7 or whatever the amount is. And for patients, sometimes that's easier too. They just know every time I get a prescription, it's going to be X dollars. Um, That's always nice. Um, I think the more information that is available on twofold, one from the pharmacist to be able to look it up. Or be for the patient to be able to look at it. So now that there's you know a few more options like apps and different things like that, where for patients are able to go on and and look at their plan and different things like that, makes makes life a little bit easier for sure. And and you know even electronic cards and all that sort of thing is is making things easier. I think the more and it, and this is I don't know how to do this, but if people could be more educated on their plan. Yeah, I mean, and I know everybody's given the 200 page information booklet and nobody reads it. And that's the issue, right? Is there is a lot of information there for for somebody to know about their plan, but the more they know, the better. Um, and and so then sometimes I'm you know, put in the place of kind of trying to educate a little bit on a plan that I don't actually really know that well. I, mean, I just know what plans are like based on my experience. Yeah. You know, that, those are some of the things that maybe, you know, you know the, the little things that bug you a little bit. And when you're in the store, it's like, ah, you know, I got to tell this person, well, no, they don't cover it because they only cover it in this scenario or well no, that that medication needs special approval because it can be used for weight loss, but it can also be used for diabetes. So if you're not diabetic, they're not going to cover it for you. You know, that, that's a common one. Um, and the other, the, the last thing I would say, not the last thing, but the one of the other things I would say is, <laughs> yeah. um, it, I wish all insurances would cover smoking
2: cessation products. You know, that's a big one that we, the lifestyle category, like, I mean, whatever. Um, and I know why, like, I mean, I remember 25 years ago when it, it was all kind of first starting out and there was a huge fear of the cost and employers just went, holy crap. If we ever actually have people quitting every six months. This is going to bankrupt us, and there was a couple of years of massive. I mean, before Wellbutrin and and stuff kind of made it messier with weight loss and smoking cessation, but I mean, claims were through the roof, and at the time we were hitting fertility drugs and that, and um, hair loss like Rogaine's and stuff like that, and uh, employers came to us. So, like, just giving you the other side of the coin, going. Hold on a minute. Our rates are going up at twelve to fifteen percent a year. We can't do this year after year. Like this stuff doesn't matter. And you go, okay, but if you quit, and go, yeah, but you can quit without this stuff, right? And yeah, but I, I'm with you. And, and and there's been a lot of talk about is it time to go back to looking at those lifestyle drugs? I mean, ED drugs, erectile dysfunction drugs, is a good example. No, it's a mental health thing. It's a, a physical health thing. It's not just fun you know like and I, I think that's the way they were classified so yeah and i
1: mean and, and maybe there needs to be some sort of approval processes or whatever which are also something that drive us crazy sometimes but you know the the one the particular one for me though is that smoking cessation one because i think there's enough data out there now to say that a patient a, a person that doesn't smoke is more productive at work they're going to use less inhalers you know live long you know there's enough data on that
2: particular one no ltd claims like yeah yeah like you know but, but there's an interesting one. And this was, I'm going way back 20 years. I doubt if I could ever find this one, but but it was really cool. And it basically said the people that made the choice to quit and had to pay for it on their own, the chance of of re re Relap. starting or whatever, relapsing, thank you, was way, way less if you invested your own money in it. Versus somebody else's. And I, I think it got shut down by the insurance companies and drug companies going, Shh, don't, don't say that, you know, but, uh, but I, I remember reading it at the time going okay, that kind of makes sense. Like, I mean, do I like, you know, as a 16 year old boy went out and bought a car, I got this crappy car that meant everything to me versus my friends who got the BMW from their parents and, you know, they were crashing it up every chance everybody got to drive it, you know, and do you appreciate it or not? So I, I, I kind of, I went from the very beginning of this one to where we are now, and I'm with you in that. I think it makes sense. Um, but I also kind of had that, all that lingering stuff still baggage in my head. I want us to go back to the education comment here,
0: Trevor. You, like you said, that's what you're looking for is better education. Dave, I'm going to lean on you here. Who's best in class for education on the uh, benefit side?
2: Is that do you have somebody you like for this? Like somebody who has a, a good app? The pharmacist who knows the patient. Oh, so there wasn't, you know, but there used to be an amazing app or a website um, called RxHelp. No, no, no. Sorry, that's a patient choice card rx oh crap it was a guy who sold the business to shoppers drug mart and shoppers drug mart shut it down and kept it only for doctors and it showed every province um what was covered in, um air air force armed forces native plans everything so you put in the drug generic or brand and it would give you everything including you know interchangeables and and the whole thing it was the most amazing tool ever and you could actually have a a pretty intelligent conversation with somebody and it was a basic, basic tool. And when shoppers bought it, I'm like, Oh, fantastic. This is going to be out there more. And they said, no, it'll be done before the end of the month. We're taking it down. We don't want to maintain it. There's too much liability. There's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh, loss of a great product.
1: RX vigilance. That's what it was called. Oh yeah. And I mean, the thing that's great, you know, those kinds of things are good. And I, and i thought about this is, you know, a way to put that information in the pocket of the prescriber. Right, the so that then they're not because otherwise you end up with this thing and and probably in others, and I know in other scenarios where you know for people that aren't in the medical clinic like I am or people that are in the province where they can't make the the change themselves, you know then it just delays things by a day or two, three or ten or however you know whatever the issue is. Um, so you know putting that information in the pocket of the prescriber, and and that's easy enough maybe for you know like a a a. Form, provincial formulary or a you know, First Nations Inuit health sort of thing. But when you get, to, when you get to employer plans where they're also, you know, cut up different ways, uh, it, it gets harder to to put that information in the pocket of the prescriber.
2: Yeah, there was, there was a program. It, it, it ran in the U S for several years and piloted in Canada for a short time. And I'm going back 25 years ago, to give you perspective, it was all on Palm Pilots. And basically they gave the Palm Pilots to physicians in small towns with big, um, big employers. So sawmill towns and mining towns, because you could, you know, limit, you know, you had three or four plan designs and pretty much everybody in town was on one of those three or four. And they gave the Palm Pilots to the doctors and said, here, you enter your data to help come up with a diagnosis and the Palm Pilot would help with the diagnosis. And then it would say, okay, these are the recommended treatments for that. You pick whichever one you want, doctor, and then it checks the plan. It would say, yes, that's covered, or that's covered at 80%, or there's an alternative at 100%, or, or whatever. And then when you finished, you said, okay, send that to the pharmacy, and it would electronically send the the, um, the script, and then the pharmacist could fulfill it, and away you went. It just made so much sense, because the choices were kind of happening at the beginning, um, I know in Ontario where they piloted it, the pharmacist fought back like crazy and said, like, you're, you're removing us from the equation. Like we need to be part of it, which, which there is merit to that. Um, and they saw that it was going to be a jump over pharmacy to direct, you know, fulfillment or whatever. But I, to me that that's the best. If you could actually have the physician doing the diagnosing, knowing what's covered, if, if it unless it's your perfect world of here's the diagnosis, you do the rest, in which case you get the Palm pilot and you go, okay, let's take a look at your plan design and see what's covered or not. To me, that's all incredibly doable with technology today. But the one thing you have to remember when it comes to benefit plans and insurance companies, um, they have legacy mainframe systems that still running on like MS DOS. So like, it's not unusual to walk in an insurance company and see green screens still to this day. So, um, I think we're kind of leaps apart from where we gotta get, and there's too many conflicts between the different um, pillars to to do it well. So, I I, I do lean on, on pharmacists. Like, I mean, you you are the one healthcare professional that is. I mean, your time is always limited and important, but you tend to get to know your patients probably better than the doctors do that that are um, prescri- not prescribing. Well, yes, prescribing, but but you're fulfilling at a more common level and dealing with their other aches and pains that they may not talk about. So I'm kind of hoping on you guys, which I know is not fair, but yeah.
1: Well, and I mean, and we have our teams, you know, we have our technicians and assistants and I, you know, I've got a great assistant who's been with me for 10 years and, and she knows the benefits plans better than I do probably, because she's dealing with it as much as I am, if not more some days. So, so you know, you, you do have to make sure it's not just the pharmacist uh, doing that, but you, you know, your team is helping deal with these issues. Um, and, you know, we do, we do get to know our patients well. We're the most accessible healthcare professional. I mean, there's there's no other healthcare professional that you can find, you know, in what, a town of 10,000 people the White Court is, there's six pharmacies you can walk into and talk to a pharmacist like just walk in and talk to them. There's no other healthcare professional like that. Um, you can't walk into any doctor's office and talk to the doctor. You can't walk into the dentist and just talk to the dentist, but you can do that with, or a nurse or whatever, but you can do that with your pharmacist. And It's it's even hard in Ontario.
2: Uh, even like you walk in, the, there's no pharmacist in that pharmacy. They're in a supervising pharmacy somewhere else, you know?
1: Yeah. In Alberta, we can't be open and dispensing medications unless there is a pharmacist on site. But um, And it's not to say that it's always easy to talk to them, but you know, you 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 more than likely can find a pharmacist to talk to. So, anyways, it's um, you know, one of our one of our greatest benefits, but also one of our things that is hard to, uh, because then you're constantly being dragged
2: into different conversations. Do you you want to pop into patient choice cards and stuff and patient assistance programs?
0: Yeah, I look forward to this.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's funny. So in Ontario, um, I, I used to always kind of counsel my clients and saying, you know, pharmacists have information on the Trillium drug program our provincial high cost drug program. Um, and they've got these patient so- assistance and choice cards and patient assistance programs and funding models. They've got all this information. You just have to ask if you haven't kind of done all of your homework and stuff. Um, and do, so I, in Ontario, my understanding was every pharmacist kind of had to have the provincial health stuff to hand out. Now it's not an envelope anymore. Now it's all, you know, here's a link or, or whatever. Um, but you know, do, is it up to them to do this? Are you finding that you're doing more and more of this? Um, like, I mean, I, I, I've had so many weird experiences with, you know, one person goes to one pharmacy and they go, oh yeah, my pharmacist took five minutes and explained this is how it works. And this is what's paying here. And, you know, here's this copay card and, you know, all these other things. And then the next person I, I shot this across in the email, you know, they're, they're Remicade. It's, you know, $18,000 a year. Their 20% should be 3600, but the pharmacist goes and says, don't worry about it. I'll put it on my card. And the patient thinks the pharmacist is paying for it on their own credit card. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's not the case. But I mean, I guess it could be, but they wouldn't do it more than once, you know, like,
1: yeah. So in, in my scenario, so, you know, what we're talking about here, a couple of different things. Number one would be like high cost drugs, like, you know, Hemera and, um, and Braille, you know, all the biologics, right. And so the biologics, um, they typically have, right, their own support programs and people in place to make sure that people are going to be, um, covered and, and that sort of thing. So, so, I don't deal too much with that. I'll usually say, you know, talk to your specialist office, they'll direct you to a nurse, and then there's a nurse navigator for that particular drug or whatever. So so on that side of things, I mean, we're not really too much involved, it's up to the patient and their and their nurses, and, and they'll call us and we'll deal with it. And, um, you know, no big deal. Then there's the things like RX helps, which you mentioned or an OV is the other. and. I've had it happen two ways. I've I've had patients come in with those cards. Now those are more are most often patients that are are looking for help, like they're have maybe struggling or they're paying cash for everything and they're trying to find anything. Um, sometimes you know the patient may not have the best understanding and they'll think that drug, that card is going to pay for some percentage of every drug. And you're like, well, no, it's only this very small list. Um, Growing list, but but small list, and then it'll only pay for the brand name, but it's not going to pay for the generic, and so you might you might be better off to just pay cash for the generic versus get the brand name because you're going to pay more anyways or whatever, um, and then we I mean we do have a stack of those cards in the pharmacy that when when we have somebody who it it's just for the brand name medications right, and because the only ones on there are brand name medications that have gone to a generic. And it's it's a tool that we can use to help patients have access to those brand names if they require it. So we don't promote them, so to speak. Um, but if a patient has a you know legitimate need or desire to have a brand name product, then we'll say, well, you know, hey, we've got this card in the way. We usually explain it is we have a card, and we'll just say from the drug manufacturer because that's easier for people to understand than what is actually happening all behind the scenes um so we'll just see and we have a drug uh, card from the drug manufacturer and they'll they'll cover the difference for you between the brand and the generic and then you know away we go and and people are happy with that so that's more the way that i see it happening in in our scenario and in terms of yeah explaining all of how that works i mean we will but sometimes people are just happy their drugs are covered by you know
2: Right. yeah it's funny sometimes we see people like i mean they're instigating it because they're looking for things or a clinic or somebody mentioned it along the way in ontario we have lots of advisors uh when we did the switch from uh generic plans to mandatory generic plans you know you start to get pushed back by employees going hold on a minute how come my doctor wrote no substitution so you should cover it And like yeah but we're not doing that anymore well here's here's a get out of jail free card you know, as long as it's around. And uh, so we had a fair amount of advisors pushing the pharmacy assistance cards, the choice cards, whatever you want to call them to, um, to help people out and stuff. So,
1: and without going into a lot of the detail on the business side of things, but, you know, when I say, you know, if a patient has a legitimate need for a, for a brand name, um, which there many times isn't um, because we have very good generic, in generic products in Canada. Um, but whatever, some, for sometimes people need them or want them or feel that they need them, um, that's fine. But, you know, from a business perspective, you know, the generic is a better business thing for me as an owner, I'm not, that, you know, a, it's, it's more profitable for me to sell a generic than a than a brand drug. Really? Yeah, so, so we don't promote the brand. But it, but we will provide it, of course. Again, my philosophy right from the start that I said, I'm going to do what's in the best interest of the patient. I mean, the first thing they're going to get is the generic. And if for some reason they desire the brand name, we can do that. If there's a card or a, a brand card for it. But, you know, many times that's not the issue, that it's a generic. It's that the drug itself just isn't the right drug for them. So,
2: Yeah, Interesting. Do you have anything else on that one, Jason, just before we go into, uh,
0: no, let's go on to the next set of questions here. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So uh, quite often, and I've, I've had a kind of a year of a lot of this where the pharmacy, okay, my words, the pharmacy keeps screwing up. And so they they use wrong codes. They use a temporary code to override the system, but they've done that for a year now. So the temporary code doesn't work anymore. And you go, why didn't you just call once and get it fixed? So quite often I'll say to people, don't come out of the point of sale. Don't come out of the pharmacy and two days later, try and fix the problem. Like, Let's try and fix it at the point of sale. So if there is a coding error, if there is something unusual, then the pharmacist knows for next time and we avoid that problem. And I I quite often will get feedback from the pharmacy, especially if I call them and they're like, not our problem, man. Like, thanks, but this is your customer's problem. The insurance company is yours, not mine. And you go, yeah, I know. But you've screwed up. Like we, we know cause I, I'm hearing the codes from the other side and they're like, we tried our best. Like, I mean, I, I'm not spending any more time with this patient. You go.
1: Know? Yeah. And it's a hard balance. And of course, in an ideal world, everybody involved there would be very calm and uh, kind and, and dealing with it with, you know, um, thinking that everybody's viewing it, that everybody's just trying to do the right thing and all of that. So that piece of it aside, the individual personalities. And the- so if we were humans and nice. So yeah. the reality is that that's not always the case. I think, um, and I've, ha- I've had both of those scenarios where I'm okay to deal with it an extent but there is times when it's like this isn't my issue to deal with like your drug plan isn't working you go talk to your drug plan and come back to me and i'll try it again but you know it's your plan it's like when people say well why doesn't my drug plan cover well i don't i don't know i can't answer that for you they just don't um it's your plan not my plan but i mean what i i I get what you're saying and there's all kinds of issues that can happen Uh, we had a scenario where the plan was inputted in the wrong patient's file. Okay? So that was our mistake. But the computer system let it go through. And like a year later, I got a fax saying, you know, hey, uh, you need to cancel this. And I'm going, well, why do I need to cancel this? It's been, A, it's been a year. B, your system let it go through and let that person get coverage for that. That's the insurance's issue, not, not my pharmacy issue. It was 60 bucks. I never canceled it because I said like, whatever, it's 60 bucks, if they take the money away, I don't even care. So those are the things where, you know, all of those things can compound. So I mean, yeah, if the pharmacy is making a mistake, we've got to get that sorted out, putting in codes, these sort of things. Pharmacy dispensing software can sometimes do things almost automatically. A common one would be um, a patient maybe had an old plan and now they have a new plan and we bill it through in the wrong, in in an order that is such that the automatically puts in a code to say that we're billing this plan as a secondary. Now it it's the secondary plan where in reality it's actually the primary plan and then we've got to get that fixed. But the other hard thing there is that I, as the pharmacist, can't make that change. So now I'm talking to my patients and you need to phone your insurance and tell them this, because even though I might've messed it up, I can't fix it.
2: Yeah. Because they don't want the conflict of shop testing the system and everything. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. So it's like I, I, I they have to call in because they'll just say, "Well, we need to talk to the plan, you know, the, the cardholder or whatever." It, it's okay uh, in the, in certain scenarios, but sometimes it's it's difficult in the moment. And you know, these things always happen at four fifty-five when everybody's standing eight people in line to get their meds to on,
2: home. Wait, you're not open twenty-four-seven. Some places are. But we aren't. <laughs> so, no, you go with the clinic hours, right?
1: So, uh, yeah, I mean that that would be one thing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think generally most pharmacies and most pharmacists will step up and help resolve insurance issues for patients to an extent. But there's you know there's a limit to it when it's like, look, I've tried the things that I can try, I've called in and they've told me X, Y, Z, and and it's still not working on my side. I don't know what's going on. You're gonna need to make a call yourself.
2: Yeah and 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 we've had that like i I had an interesting case this year that i've never heard before and the insurance company uh which was a blue cross out here medvy and they uh they said oh the pharmacist is doing it all wrong they need to do this so i said okay can you have that conversation with the pharmacist because speak on the same language i don't want to be the middleman." and so then they came back and said well the the patient has gone to two different it was costco pharmacy so he's gone to two different ones we have to now call the other pharmacists didn't tell them because they're doing it wrong too. And I'm like, stop. If two pharmacists are doing it wrong, I'm kind of wondering if maybe they're not. You know, like you can't keep pointing the finger. And they they ended up coming back going, you're right. We actually coded this entire plan wrong. And and here's the problem. I'm like, well, we've now sent the patient back twice to two different Costco's to fix it. Like one, 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 the other. And it's not their problem. It's your problem. And uh, and the insurance company's like, yeah, but we don't, we don't know that until it fails and we try and fix it and everything else. I'm like, yeah, that's everybody's problem is you kind of got to piss everybody off so much that you finally find a solution to the whole thing. So very frustrating. So
0: I think we're going to make this our our last scheduled question here if we can, because we're going to, I'm going to run out of time here for our listeners. So Dave and I, and I think we both have different versions of this question, but do you run into situations where people have a copay or deductible? That they say, like Trevor, I can't manage that. That, whatever, thirty bucks or, what is is outside of what I can manage. And especially maybe today with, um, you know, inflation being what it is, or people feeling away about inflation. Do you hear this kind of thing?
1: Yes, yes, and no. I mean, uh, primarily, if it's a copay amount, you know, those are typically fairly small. I mean. Uh, Uh, from what I see, the biggest copay...
0: I I went with $30. Like, I'm thinking, you know, it's not going to be on a $7 one, I assume not, but...
1: No, no. And I mean, on on the highest copay that I see is an $18 one. There's one particular employer that has an $18 copay, so every drug is $18 um, unless it's cheaper than that. And that's what's hard for that is that there is a lot of medications that are cheaper than that. So, you know, they end up paying less, which is, which is good, but typically it's not on the co-pays amounts more often. It would be for cash paying patients. Um, And so we can help, you know, direct them to supports, you know, provincial supports and that sort of thing. But I don't see it a lot. Um, It does happen for sure. Now, you know, again, we talked at the start of the talk here about the difference between independent and corporate. So you know, when somebody tells me, look, I get paid on the 25th, can I leave this 40 bucks here until the 25th? We have the latitude to do that for people. And we do regularly, sometimes it bites you. But more often than not, people will come in and pay the 40 bucks or whatever it is. And, and always, you know, scenario specific, you know, when I've got a child that needs an antibiotic, and I've got a mother standing in front of me that can't afford the $15 antibiotic, like whatever, you just give it to them. Um, and, and if they come back and pay you great, if they don't, you write it off. So, you know, those are the things that I like about being an independent is I have that latitude. You got to keep an eye on it, of course. And I'm not going to say I haven't had, not haven't been stung for a little more than I would have liked to have been stung,
2: but it's just part of what happens. So do you see it maybe more when there's drug maximums? So like we're seeing now more like the easy out for advisors rather than doing, creative stuff they just go okay we're gonna put a thousand dollar drug cap in and once you're over the thousand you're on your own so if you're you know the diabetic and you're doing your regular insulin and test strips and lancets and or whatever um like are you seeing kind of more of that kind of pushed back on you than just the copay side of things
1: not not as much no not as much not not for my scenario at least i don't see that a ton um you know some examples when there's high cost drugs involved, but again, usually those people are in a different system sort of thing, right? They're talking with the support groups and they know that that's going to happen. And then the, a different plan is going to kick in and, and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, we don't see
2: that a lot. Can I ask one weird little question that I just clicked in my head? Last one. Last word is yours, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just really quick. So how many levels of payers can there be on your system? So like, I'll quite often hear that like, Oh, it's not uncommon to have five or six where there's the, his plan, there's her plan. There's a, you know, provincial healthcare, there's the patient copay card, you know, like the, so there's like four or five right there. Um, it, it, does that stack get pretty big or
1: I'm sure there might be a limit, but I, I haven't come to it yet, uh, in our system at least. And, um, yeah, typically three would be the most that I see sometimes four, if you include like a patient copay plan or something like that. So
2: okay. just curious. Yeah. Cool. Back to you, Jason. I'm done.
1: Well,
0: Trevor, any last uh, parting words of wisdom for group benefits advisors out there? You already talked about education a little bit. Um, you know, you've got an a captive audience here, as it were. So, anything you'd like to see done better from that perspective?
1: Uh, n- nothing. Nothing big and profound, um, other than two things number one like I said before simple is better from our perspective when it's simple for the patient to understand simple for the employer to understand and simple for the pharmacist to understand how it's going to work Um, and the second thing would be you know there is this prior approval thing that happens in all plans provincial and private and uh there's times when I I wish they would give pharmacists a little more uh, latitude to document that differently um So rather than having to fax in a form and wait for a response and review, but rather to say, like, as long as they meet this criteria, then do this, you know, put in this code. Okay, well, I can tell you the patient meets this criteria already. So yes, they do this. Yes, they do this. Here's some supporting documentation. I'm going to keep that in my file. And then if I get audited, I can just send that off to you. And then it's not delaying the patient's care, because that's really what it comes down to with those things is sometimes we're delaying things by a week or more. And that's not always in the best interest of the patients or the pharmacy is saying, well, here's a week, of the meds and we'll apply now. And then we get stung at the end because they can't pay or whatever. So I think just giving pharmacists a little bit more input and autonomy that way to say, no, no, they do meet this criteria you told us they need to meet. I'm going to hit this code, whatever the code is. And yeah, it's up to me to keep that documentation, but
2: uh, it'll still be going through at that time. So I think we're going to see more of that this year. Just I had a meeting this morning, and one of the things we we're talking about was a more standardized prior authorization system amongst carriers. So whether it'll be all provinces, all carriers, all insurers i don't know but but i think we're we're gearing towards that yeah and we we saw that in ontario with the sadie program for exceptional access drugs and they were trying to get it so that you know 85 percent were done right on point of sale the, the pharmacist could you know just take it off and away you went so ho- there's hope there's hope
0: <laughs> well dave thanks again for doing this just awesome you've got so much wisdom around this stuff that it's uh, thank you Floor is anything i've got trevor you've been just wonderful for answering questions and uh, being very upfront about your business and really appreciate that i know that'll bring a lot of value to the folks listening and i've learned a lot so that's always best for me thanks so much thanks to both of you thanks guys Thank you okay um lots there i'm really full i'm I've, i gave it uh, now i've listened to it three times and i learned something new every time the number here is six the number is six Thanks very much for listening, and please do join us again in two weeks when I'll be reporting live from the Institute of Advanced Financial Planners uh, Symposium. If you're listening to this episode and you're not already signed up for CE credits, this is a very easy thing to do. Just navigate over to businesscareercollege.com and you're gonna sign up here for CE subscribe currently the pricing is 200 a year we may be uh, introducing monthly pricing at some point but as of today we have a cost of 200 a year and once you're signed up then you can just go and listen to every episode within your subscriptions once you're logged in You'll use my subscriptions here and you'll just go to the latest episode, which you'll scroll down to very near the bottom four. It doesn't matter which episode, you just scroll down and you find the one. So as of the time I'm recording this, the most recent episode is season four, episode 27. I can just start it right from here. I can do the quiz here. Once I'm done the quiz, then I can get my continuing education certificate. Very straightforward. Um, so I would just launch the course here and I can watch the episode from here. Uh, Now, if you happen to be already listening to it on YouTube or whatever the case is, you can just navigate right into the quiz, start your quiz, and you're just gonna go through the whole thing. And then at the end of it, you'll be able to see your certifications. So we're gonna bring up uh, designing small group products. We bring this up and we click on wall certificate, and that's gonna give me the CE certificate I need in order to maintain status wherever I happen to um, need CE credits. So I really do encourage, I know that uh, out of our regular listeners, about 40% of you are listening to the episode for CE credits. That's about 60% who are listening out of general interest or whatever it is. Um, And I really think this is an easy way to get your CE credits, 200 bucks a year, pretty reasonable price. And as you can see from the certificate here, so, and as you hear me discuss at the beginning of the episode, we have a broad range of approvals for all of our courses. I'd like to thank uh, Joe Tong. Joseph is our editor, both for video and audio content. And Joe does a lot of good work to make sure that these episodes look and sound good, despite my better efforts. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Maria Nguyen. Maria makes sure that the episodes all get approved for CE credits. Uh, Veronica Tiber does the quality assurance through that process. And then we have a strong marketing team that makes sure that all of our content gets out there so that people can find us and uh, take advantage of learning opportunity they might not have known about.